Today, the country of Vanuatu has a population of 307,150 people. That is around the same size as the population of Cincinnati, Ohio. The country is made up of 83 small islands that stretch 1,300 kilometers. The islands are known for scuba diving among stunning coral reefs and underwater caverns. The islands are also known for being safe and free from violent crimes. The country is 85% Christian, and the country is almost entirely Presbyterian. But just 100 years ago, the islands were called the New Hebrides. The islands had no rule of law, and murder and cannibalism was a way of life. Then one man dared to bring the gospel, and everything changed. This is the story of John Payton. Welcome back to Church History. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens. Today, we're talking about how the gospel came to Vanuatu. Today's episode is brought to you by Alexander Henry Coffee, and if you use the code CHURCHHISTORY, all lowercase and no space, you receive a 20% discount. In our last episode, I told you this was only available for our Canadian listeners, but now it's available in Canada and the United States. If you want great coffee, check it out. My husband roasts the coffee after you order it. And let me tell you, my home smells amazing. And I'm drinking this coffee right now as I record this. And it tastes so smooth. So check out the link in the show notes. In the next couple of episodes, we're going to be talking about the life of John Payton and the missionary work to the New Hebrides. In this story, you're going to hear about the horrors of what was happening in the New Hebrides. You're going to hear about cannibalism and violence. I know that a lot of homeschooling families listen to this podcast, so I want to make sure you're aware of this before listening. However, I do believe it's important to hear these stories. We can't understand the world today if we don't know our history and how we got here. We cannot give our children a Christian worldview of the world without telling them the history of the church. And that history is full of difficult things. These stories are part of those difficult things. In the year 1774, Captain James Cook discovered a group of islands that reminded him of the Hebrides in Scotland. So he named the islands the New Hebrides. The islands were like going back in time. There was no form of civilization. They had not been touched by the modern changes of the late 1700s. Captain Cook was charmed by the idea of living naked on an island with no modern education or knowledge of the world around them. No law. You simply lived and survived. Live the way you want to live. No rules. He wrote about the New Hebrides, and people reading his accounts were charmed at the idea of this way of life. But the reality was much different. It had been 1,740-ish years since Jesus Christ died and rose again. And in those years, 
the gospel had not reached the people of the New Hebrides Islands. Then, in 1834, a missionary named John Williams was working in the country of Samoa. Samoa is in the continent of Oceania, the same continent as the location of the New Hebrides. His work in Samoa was successful, and the gospel spread, and churches were planted, and they grew. John Williams and his friend Harris felt God calling them to continue their work on the islands of the New Hebrides. As they neared one of the islands, the boat they were on couldn't dock because, well, there was no docks. The boat stopped a while off, and John and his friend went into a smaller boat and paddled to shore. The crew on the boat watched as the two men rowed to shore, got out of the boat. The islanders all came out of the woods and surrounded the men. They then began to beat the men with clubs. The sailors on the boat watched helplessly as the two men were beaten to death, then cut into pieces, cooked over fire, and eaten. Just a few hours after landing, the men had been eaten by cannibals. The crew on the boat could only watch and then leave. The horrible story was spread throughout the churches. There was a call among the European churches to send a missionary, but no one was willing to go. The churches in Samoa were shocked and saddened at the loss of the man who had brought the gospel to the church. The men from the churches in Samoa went to another island that was part of the New Hebrides. They brought the gospel, and there they were able to start a church. They continued to write to the Church of Europe, asking for missionary support and help. Missionary societies called for missionaries to stand up for the challenge. But year after year, the call went unanswered. No one was willing to go to the island where John Williams had been killed, cooked, and eaten. Then, one year, a 34-year-old preacher with a thriving ministry answered the call. Everyone begged him to reconsider. And this is his story. Let's start at the very beginning. Fifteen years before the death of John Williams and his friend Harris, on May 24, 1824, in Dumfries, Scotland, John was born to James and Janet Payton. He was their first child. James had prayed to God to send him to the mission field, but God had told him very clearly that his job was to have children and raise them to be ministers of the gospel. James and Janet prayed over their firstborn son and asked God to send him to the mission field. It would be 34 years before they saw God answer that prayer. James and Janet had 10 more children. The family was very poor. James worked as a stocking manufacturer. His family lived in a three-room cottage. One room was James' store where he made and sold stockings. The room in the middle was a small room where James and Janet slept. And the third room was where the family ate, lived, and the 11 children slept. There was one other very, very small room, a closet. And this was the prayer closet. James would go into this closet to pray. 
and the children could hear their father in the closet praying. John grew up hearing his father pray for him, and this was very impactful. There were many times when the family saw God perform miracles. One day, the family ate the last piece of food in the house. As Janet was tucking her children into bed, she told them to pray and thank God for the food he was going to provide in the morning. There was no need to be afraid. God would provide. The next morning, Janet's parents arrived with a large basket of bread and milk. When John was old enough to attend school, he wasn't able to attend because he had outgrown his clothes and he had nothing to wear. One evening, the family was praying, and as they were kneeling, they heard the door open. All the children knew that during prayer, they were never to open their eyes and look around. So they remained kneeling with their eyes closed. After the prayer time was finished, they looked up and saw a package with John's name on it. When they opened it, they found an entire set of clothes, including a new pair of shoes. Many years later, John learned it was his school teacher that had left the clothes for him. John was a great student, and he loved school, but the family didn't have a lot of money, and at the age of 12, John had to go to work to help pay for the family bills. He had a job working for a map maker. To get to work, John had to walk four miles. On his way to work, he would read books as he walked. He read every book he could get his hands on. He especially loved to read books on theology and science. Although he was not in school, he continued to learn. John did well at his job as a map maker. One day, his boss brought him into his office. He offered him a job promotion and a huge pay increase. There was one thing. John would have to sign a paper saying he would work for seven years. John told him he had given his life to Jesus Christ and his life belonged to Jesus. He could not promise seven years to another boss. His only boss was Jesus. His boss became extremely angry. He didn't believe in God, and he was so mad when he heard John's answer, so he fired him on the spot. So that meant John didn't even have a job now. So he spent time working for a local farmer. He didn't know anything about farming, since he'd been a city boy his whole life. But the farmer liked John, and he liked his attitude and his willingness to work hard. John learned about farming, and those were skills that would be useful to him later in life. This was the time when John Williams was killed and eaten in the New Hebrides, and this story impacted John as a teenager. He prayed that God would give him the courage that John Williams had. John felt God calling him to move to Glasgow. He would look for work there and serve in the mission work there. It was 40 miles to Glasgow, and John had to walk the whole way. His mother cried the entire morning. She was so sad that her firstborn son was leaving home. John's father walked with him for the start of the journey. He walked quietly, but his lips were moving in prayer. John knew his father was praying for him. Eventually, it was time for the two to part. John was afraid he might back out at the last minute, so once he said goodbye to his father, he ran ahead, and once he turned a corner, he climbed up a hill. Then he sat there and looked down at his father. He could see his father was still watching down the road. 
His father stood for a long time, looking toward the area where John had walked. John sat watching his father, who was standing, watching the area where John had walked. Later in life, John wrote this about that day. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsel and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart, as if it had been but yesterday, and tears on my cheeks as freely now as then. Whenever memory steals me away to that scene, his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence, and then solemnly said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could, and when, about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him, still standing, with head uncovered, where I had left him gazing after me. Waving my hat adieu, I was around the corner and out of sight in an instant. But my heart was too full and sore to carry me farther, so I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Rising cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him, and at that moment I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike to look out for me. He did not see me, and after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face towards home, and began to return. His head still uncovered, and his heart I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze, and then, hasting on my way, vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. The appearance of my father when he parted has often through life risen vividly before my mind and does so now, as if it had been but an hour ago. In my earlier years, particularly when exposed to many temptations, his parting form rose before me as a guardian angel. It is with deep gratitude, which makes me here testify that the memory of that scene not only helped to keep me pure from the prevailing sins, but also stimulated me in all my studies so that I might not fall short of his hopes, and in all my Christian duties, that I might faithfully follow his shining example. John continued to walk the rest of the 40 miles. He arrived in Glasgow and began to look for work. He saw a sign looking for a teacher. He was not qualified, but decided to apply for it anyway. He was shocked when he got the job. What he didn't know was that the children were so horrible that no one wanted the job of teaching them. They were so far behind in their schooling, and their behavior was out of control. On the first day of school, the head of the school board that had hired him gave him a huge stick. He said he would need it to beat the children. It was the only way to keep them in line. 
Now remember, John was still a very young man. He didn't know what he was doing, and he trusted the man. But he felt uncomfortable about it. On the first day, a boy refused to listen to John. He stood up and laughed at him. John used the large stick he'd been given and beat the boy. He beat him until the boy finally agreed to listen. He did this in front of the whole class. And he felt horrible about it. The next day, two boys were acting up. Now, he could beat those two boys, but he really didn't want to. He used the opportunity to teach the children about grace. He asked the boys if they would be willing to apologize to him and the class, to say that they were sorry for what they had done. The boys apologized, and John told them he forgave them. From that moment on, the class liked John, and they respected him. They sat and listened while he taught. By the end of the school year, the school was great. The students were well-behaved, and they had not only caught up with the other schools in the area, but they had surpassed them. The school was now listed as one of the best schools in the district. The school board then decided that a school this good needed a teacher that was qualified. So they fired John and hired a teacher with credentials. The students and the parents of the students were so sad that they held a huge party for John. Although John wasn't a teacher anymore, he continued to work with the students and with their families. He began to work in the area, starting ministry work. He was so well-respected in the area, and this was the start of a very successful ministry. John was offered a job working for the Glasgow Mission. He would go door-to-door in Glasgow, preaching the gospel. Some people knew him from his teaching job and welcomed them into their homes, but others hated him. You see, Glasgow had turned away from God, and there was a push to promote atheism in Glasgow. John soon had a small group of people who wanted to know more about what he was talking about, and he found a farmer who was willing to let him use his barn as a meeting place. There was one man who was known for promoting atheism in Glasgow. He had a large library full of books about how there was no God and people should not believe in God. He hated that John was working in Glasgow. He was constantly laughing at John and making fun of him. And then the man's wife started attending the meetings in the barn. She became a Christian and suffered abuse from her husband, who was very angry at her for being a Christian. Then sickness came to Glasgow, and many people became extremely sick. One day, this man who had fought John became very ill, and he was sure he was going to die. John came to visit him. He prayed for him, and the man agreed to allow John to sit with him. Sir, God loves you. He died for you. He wants to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to save you, and he will. The man cried out to God. He said he believed in him and asked God to forgive him of his stubbornness, his pride, and his arrogance. A few days later, the man's fever broke, and he recovered. He took all the books in his libraries that promoted atheism and burned them in the fire. He then became as outspoken on the love of God as he had been outspoken about his disbelief in God. Another man in town was also an outspoken atheist. He also became sick, and John visited him as well. 
the man on his deathbed mocked John. The man admitted he did believe in God, and he believed in the devil. He had hated God all his life, and he hated God now in his death. He had given his life to the devil, and he would spend eternity with him. The man died, cursing God as his final breath. A little boy, eight years old, also became sick. This little boy had attended John's meeting faithfully, and at the age of eight, was already a great evangelist, telling everyone he knew about Jesus Christ. As he was dying, he was talking to his mother. He told her, Mother, I'm going to heaven, and I know I'll be with Jesus, but I'm sad because I don't think I'm going to see you there. His mother was shocked. Why do you think you won't see me in heaven? I'm a Christian, and someday I will be in heaven with you. The little boy told his mother, You and Father say you believe in Jesus, but you never talk about Jesus. You always have a reason to not come to the meetings with me. You don't tell other people how they can be forgiven. If you felt God's forgiveness, you would not be able to stop talking about it. You would want to go to meetings every day if you could. And you would talk about God all the time. I can tell that you don't really believe it. His parents were so struck by their little boy. They were hit to their heart. It was true. God meant nothing to them until this moment, until they realized they were going to lose their son. They both gave their hearts to God that day at the bedside of their dying son. The little boy died and his funeral was packed full. He had told so many people about the love of Jesus and had made such an impact on the community. His parents told the story of how their son had used his last words to convict them of their shallow belief and that they had fully committed their lives to God, that they knew one day they would see their son again. The story of the man who died cursing God and the little boy who died witnessing God's love spread through town. Both stories were impactful, and the church grew so big that soon they couldn't meet in the barn anymore, and they had to get a building of their own. And what started as a small mission sprung from a school teacher being fired was now a large church impacting the city of Glasgow. John was not an ordained minister. He hadn't been to school since he was 12 years old. He was mostly self-taught. So he started to attend school to get his education so he could become an ordained minister. And he continued to work in the area. One day, a woman came to see him. Her husband was a drunk. He beat her, and she was afraid that he might even kill her in one of those drunken rages. She didn't know what to do. Remember, this is in the 1800s. There were no abuse shelters for women to go to. Women that were in these situations were stuck, and most were likely to die. John went to visit the man. The man was heartbroken. He cried to John, I don't want to drink. I hate the person I am when I drink. And I tell myself, I'm not going to drink anymore. But then I do. And I just, I hate myself. John told the man, God can help you. But I can't pray to God. I've tried and I just can't do it. Then tell God you can't pray to him. Tell him how you feel. The man cried out to God. God, I can't pray. I don't know how to pray. And you seem so far away. I don't even know how I'm supposed to talk to you. 
but I don't want to be controlled by drinking anymore. And I want you to take control of my life. Then the man started to cry uncontrollably. He wept to the point where he could not stand and he fell to the ground. John sat on the floor holding the man. John prayed over him and slowly the man stopped shaking and stopped crying and fell into a deep sleep. John left the house and told the woman to come and see him if she needed any help. The next day, the man came to see John, and John was shocked to see him. His face was lit up with a smile, and he could see a glow in the man. The man told John he had woken up that morning a new man. He had no desire to drink. The man became part of the church and was a wonderful husband to his wife. The church was growing. The ministry was growing. They were feeding the hungry, caring for families who were struggling, going door-to-door preaching the gospel, and the group of atheists was shrinking, and that was making some people very angry. One day, John was walking down the road when suddenly he was hit in the head by a large rock. A man had thrown a huge rock at John and hit him in the back of his head. He fell to the ground unconscious. He recovered from the injury, but it was scary. Another time, when he was knocking on the door of a house, a man poured a bucket of boiling water over his head, and he was burnt very badly. Still, John refused to stop preaching. Then came the day when John attended a missions conference. He attended this every year as part of his job working with the Glasgow Missions. Ever since the death of John Williams, the mission had put a call out in their missions conference for someone to go to the New Hebrides Island. And every year, no one answered that call. On this day, once again, no one answered the call. Sitting there, John heard God say, I have called many others, but none have gone. Who will go for me? Who can I send? John wanted to stand up and shout, Here am I, send me. But he didn't know if he was hearing God calling, or if he was simply caught up in the moment. After the conference ended, he went home and continued to pray. He knew God was telling him, go, go to the New Hebrides Island. The first person John told was a professor he had. His professor was excited and encouraged him. He told John he had prayed that he would not die until he saw someone answer the call. John also told his roommate, who was also excited, and told him he was feeling a call to go to the same area. But as John started to tell other people, nobody else was excited. His church was upset with him. They thought he was doing a good work in the city. Some told him he was only going because he thought it would be an adventure. That it was not God, but his love of adventure that was calling him. Others said he was being selfish. And others said he was listening to Satan. That the devil wanted his ministry to end in Glasgow. So this was how he was getting rid of him. Others said... If God wanted those savages to know about him, they would have heard by now, and that they deserved to die and go to hell after what they had done to the last missionary. John truly believed that God had called him, but he did listen to what others said and prayed about it. He was humble and sought the advice of others. He knew one man he could trust to tell him the truth, his father, so he traveled home to see his family. His mother and father told him that they had prayed he would be a missionary and that they had given him 
to God as a child. His father told him that he always knew God would send him overseas to do a mission work. John and his father prayed together, and John knew he heard God call. He had been called to go to the New Hebrides Island. Shortly after that, John was preaching, and a man stood up in the middle of the service. Don't go. You can't go. You're going to be eaten by cannibals. John said, Sir, you are old, and you are going to die soon, and we are going to bury you, and you are going to be eaten by worms. I'm going to the New Hebrides. I might get eaten by cannibals, but whether I'm eaten by worms or eaten by cannibals makes no difference. In the end, I'm going to be with Jesus either way. From that moment on, people stopped trying to convince John to stay in Glasgow. It was clear he had made up his mind. John was seeing a young lady named Mary Ann, and he told her he wanted to marry her, but he wanted to know that she felt that God was calling her to go with him. It would not be safe for her. She might die a horrible death. He only wanted her to agree to come with him if she knew that that was what God wanted her to do. Marianne did want to go, and she wanted her life to be used by God. So John and Marianne were married, and then the two set sail for the island. The year was 1858. Next week, we're going to continue the story of John Payton as he arrives on the island. As we close, let me ask you, do you believe in God? I mean, do you truly believe in God? The way the eight-year-old boy knew somebody would act if they truly believed in God. So many people don't know about God's love. Who is going to go? And who can God send? Will you say, Here am I, Lord. Send me. I will see you next week. And in the meantime, if you want to hear more stories of church history, start this podcast all the way back at episode one. I'm telling the story of the church in chronological order. And it's important to hear the story in that order. From the life of Jesus Christ, all the way until the great mission work of the 1800s. I love to hear stories from people who are impacted by the stories I share. If you've been impacted, let me know. You can email me from my website at lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next time.